Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here for the first time, I think, on Week in Review with Liz Flora, who is Glossy's West Coast correspondent. Liz, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. Liz is the writer of many of like the most fun stories on Glossy. You've covered all sorts of fun stuff. You've got a lot of loyal readers. So thank you for being here. Happy to be here. We've got a fun episode somewhat. Uh, we're going to talk about the biggest news in fashion the last week has been Kanye West's entire empire sort of like going up in flames. Um, so we'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about a story Liz has been working on on some of the torturous, painful spa treatments that some spas have been employing recently. And then finally, Liz is going to give us an update from the Glossy Influencer Dinner, which was last night, I should say Tuesday night, we're recording this on Wednesday, which was in LA, right? It was that by you? Yep. A lot of fun people there. Liz will tell us all of the gossip of who was there and what happened. But let's start with Kanye. Um, I feel like we've written and talked about this so much the last couple of weeks. I'm a little bit sick of it, but I feel like we can't not talk about it. Um, his whole thing has really just exploded in the last week, I feel like. Uh, just a couple of days ago, the Glossy team was talking about, like, oh, do we think Adidas is actually going to drop him or does he make them too much money and stuff? And I've, like, written about that a hundred times. Um, but they did. I mean, like, everybody dropped him. Adidas dropped him. Gap dropped him. Bonsiaga cut ties. A bunch of retailers all are going to stop selling his stuff. I mean, it really feels like it's just all collapsing. Um, Liz, you and I talked about it a little bit throughout the, the last couple of weeks. What were your thoughts on that, I guess? I mean, I think you were the, the one saying that Adidas might just drop him completely, I think, or I don't know, what were your what were your thoughts before and, and what do you think is going on now? Yeah, we were all about this in Slack this week. And when I saw the announcement that it was under review, I just assumed they would inevitably drop him. I didn't think that was the question. So I was just keeping an eye out for when the announcement would come. And it came on European time when we were still asleep, unfortunately. But I was pretty sure it was inevitable. That's what I was saying. I was like, we got to figure out when this is going to happen. Like, when is this news going to be released? And it was interesting that it took so long because it took so long that employees were coming out on LinkedIn saying yeah. this needs to happen. And there was so much talk on social media, people all over the Instagram feed. So they definitely took their time with it. But yeah, I think it was pretty much inevitable. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing I th I saw that I thought was funny in, in one of their corporate statements, I think it was an internal memo like to their whole staff. Some, some Adidas executive was talking about, uh, thank you to everyone who spoke up while we went through our review process, like kind of trying to say, oh, we were going to do it the whole time. We just needed to like clear some things up. And maybe that's true. I know it's a giant company. It does move slow, but it, it you're right that it was taking such a long time that people within Adidas were, you know, speaking up about how long it took. But the thing that was more surprising to me was less so the people directly affiliated with Kanye dropping him, which makes sense, but more so the people who were not directly affiliated. Foot Locker is not going to sell any more Yeezy stuff. Although, to be honest, I can't remember the last time I saw a pair of Yeezys just sitting on the shelf in Foot Locker, but I'm sure it happens. The Real Real is not going to allow buying or selling of Yeezy anymore. The very funny one to me, again, we're recording this Wednesday earlier today, TJ Maxx was like, we're not going to sell Yeezy anymore. 
Do they even sell Yeezy? I did not know that happened. I don't know. TJ Maxx gets some pretty big brands. They just keep it a secret. So sometimes Mm -hmm. if a really big brand is in there and if it's like the bigger brand it is, then they keep it especially secret. So when I did the Glossier story on finding um, Glossier at TJ Maxx, I had to call a bunch of individual TJ Maxx stores because TJ Maxx keeps it under wraps. But yeah, it's an Mm -hmm. open secret that a ton of big brands distribute to TJ Maxx. And and I think it makes sense that they would say that because obviously this stuff is going to be liquidated. Someone's going to try to figure Mm -hmm. out how to sell it now. Um, So there would be a possibility it would end up there. But um, I'm also interested in the resale market and what the situation is for that because there's so many sneaker resellers out there that have made a career around Yeezys and all of their wealth is tied up in that and it's an investment. So yeah, are you looking into that at, at all? And what have you been seeing with that? Yeah, I've, I've, um, I'm actually reporting on this today. Um, by the time this episode comes out, there should be a story on Glossy about the resale kind of um, repercussions. Uh, Yeezy sneakers have been obviously a mainstay on various sneaker resale platforms for years, like since the moment they were released. From my kind of talking to people and looking around on some of the sneaker forums, I go on the sneakers subreddit a lot. There's a lot of interesting discussion that happens there. Um, there's a lot of people saying, I'm not going to buy Yeezy anymore, or like either I'm going to sell all my Yeezys or I'm going to wear what I have but not buy anymore. Um, people saying they're embarrassed to kind of be associated and wanting to liquidate them. Um, I saw some Google search data that was like Wednesday morning, there was a 600% increase in Google searches for sell Yeezys or something. So there's going to be, I think, a lot of people flooding the various platforms with unwanted Yeezys, which will probably drive their uh, prices down because the the supply is going to be much higher than the demand. And I don't know, the thing that I don't know, though, at this point, and I'm asking people, but I've not quite heard any good answers is what the long-term impact is going to be. Because I could see in five or 10 years, obviously Adidas is going to keep selling um, the sneakers. They're just not going to be called Yeezy anymore. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be Adidas 350 or Adidas Supply, or they'll call it something like that. So, But usually when something's rare or discontinued or not out there anymore, not easily available, that just inherently makes it more um, valuable on a lot of the big resale sites. So unless they just straight up ban the sales of it, the way the real real did, I imagine there will be something of a market for original OG Yeezy sneakers on StockX or whatever. But at the same time, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the brand has become radioactive for a lot of people. You know, they don't want to be associated with it. On the other hand, the big power seller resale people just like don't give a shit. I think about a lot of they don't have a lot of moral qualms anyway. One other thing about Kanye I wanted to bring up, which this is the one thing that is very humorous about this to me, is Kanye is so unfiltered that it's very funny to see him just like post screenshots of texts with random celebrities or like a picture of him doing karaoke with Mark Zuckerberg. Um, when people call him out on stuff, he has no qualms just like showing weird little behind the scenes things of like how ultra rich people live that I feel like you never get to see. So when when he was uh, banned off Instagram, he immediately was like posting photos of him and Mark Zuckerberg. I just thought that was very funny. He's if he weren't so horrible, I feel like he'd be a very hilarious public figure. 
And he posted a video of a meeting with Adidas execs as well at some point. Oh my God. Yeah. He was like showing them porn or something. Did you see that? He was, it was a meeting with him and a bunch of Adidas executives and he was literally showing them porn on his phone. And they're like, why are you showing us this? Very strange, very strange man. Um, Okay. Anyway, before we move on, Liz, any other thoughts on Kanye or about the whole implosion? I mean, one thing we haven't talked about is his relationship with Skims, which I think he does still have some part ownership or part partial stake in that, right? Yeah. The New York Times article on this whole implosion, as you said, mentioned that Skims said that he still has a small stake in it. And there has been chatter on Instagram asking the brand to clarify that and say what they're going to do with that moving forward. And he was instrumental in the design of Skims. So it'll be interesting to see the fallout of this whole decline going forward for all of these brands that he's been involved with. Yeah, I mean, all of his, a lot of his official partners have just sort of cut ties. One other thing is I've, um, I've been reaching out to a bunch of different retailers and resellers about if they're going to do anything. Like Christie's literally just finished a month-long um, Yeezy-themed selling exhibition. They were selling a bunch of like the original Nike Yeezy prototype and stuff, all these different things. Um, I asked them about it. I've asked a bunch of other people, and there have been some big high-profile responses like the real real or foot locker but there's also a lot i think who are just kind of staying quiet on the whole ordeal until either they come to a decision or maybe they can just get away with not saying anything um yeah there's been a lot of talk over the past few years about sneakers as an alternative asset class so the sneaker mm -hmm. resale market has been so massive that it's moved from just individual sellers making a lot of money copying rare sneakers to firms regarding it as a as a class like art or Birkins. We've seen this with handbags already. The Birkin auction market was already a thing and that's evolved into sneakers. And it, it's interesting to follow. Um, when I was at ComplexCon last year, I talked to one platform where the Nike prototype was their, the Nike Yeezy prototype was their most valuable mm -hmm. sneaker and they had purchased it for 1.8 million and they were trying to resell yes. it. And I saw this month they're liquidating that through Christie's. So it'll mm -hmm. be interesting to see what price they get for it if they get more than they paid for it even at this point. Yeah. And that company, Rares, that that bought the $1.8 million Yeezy sneaker, like their official Twitter account is like retweeting tweets about Kanye West, like and, and Yeezy being, you know, out the window now. So I, I feel like their feelings on that are clear. OK, uh, there's a, probably a lot more to talk about there, but I think we should be done. I have talked about and thought about Kanye West way more than I want to the last couple of weeks. So um but let's talk about a story you're working on right now, um, which is about, I think you described it as like spa torture treatments um, or something like that. Tell me what you've been working on and what you're seeing in the kind of in the spa world. Well, not torture treatments. We'll add some nuance to it. Um, I've no, tried, no nuance on this podcast. <laughs> I've, I've tried a few of them. It, it wasn't torture. So I have a story this week on the next generation of popular treatments taking over spas. 
Typically, when you think of the word spa, you might picture something along the lines of a massage with soft lighting and soothing music Mm -hmm. and that very specific spa scent that you could probably smell in your head if you've ever been to a spa. And in the U.S. market, at least, there's been a very big focus on relaxation and something soothing with the spa experience. But in the past few years, we've been seeing more spas adding services that have more of a no pain, no gain mentality. So we've seen things Mm -hmm. like cold plunges, infrared saunas, cryotherapy, things with needles, IV drips, injections, and Mm -hmm. it goes on and on. And there's so many more things now that aren't really about being immediately physically relaxed. It's more about some sort of endurance kind of mindset where you put some effort into it. You sit in the ice bath for as long as you can, and then you get some sort of uh, physical benefit um, out of Mm. it that they promise. I I have done an ice bath personally. Of the things you've mentioned, that's the only one that I've done. And going straight from like ice cold water to a very hot shower actually did feel amazing. So I I can vouch for that one. Um, But some of the other stuff, uh, what was the, what exactly is cryotherapy? I mean, I assume it's something to do with cold. So cryotherapy is a treatment where you go into a chamber, the temperatures are lower than negative 100 degrees. It's extremely cold. You only go in for three minutes. And there are so many benefits promised and lots of different places promise different types of benefits. So there's a range of health benefits that they promise, um, immune system improvement, mood improvement, sleep improvement, that sort of thing. And then on the other hand, they promise beauty improvements such as Mm -hmm. tightening your pores and producing collagen and all of that sort of thing. So that's an interesting one to look at because it shows kind of the different motivations that people have for going into these treatments. So it's not so much about, I want to feel soothed and relaxed from the stress of my life. It's part of it is beauty is pain, basically, which is Mm -hmm. a pretty typical mindset that's definitely not new. And then the other side is wellness, where if I do this physically uncomfortable treatment, then I'm going to get some sort of health benefit from it. Um, And that's why they're kind of willing to go through these things. And it's really interesting because stress and anxiety are at this all-time high in the U.S. You just had a U.S. government body recommending screening for all adults for anxiety because it's just so off the charts. And you have people with these really stressful lives but then they're demanding to go and get these treatments that are even more strenuous. I wonder if it's, yeah, I wonder if there's like a psychological thing where it's like, like you said, if I, if it's unpleasant, then that means it's like working or that it's real. Um, I mean, when you were, I, I, you've covered a lot of wellness stuff over the years. Um, do you get the sense that uh, there's any like, science backing this up that I'm sure it depends on on the treatment, but is uh, like exposing your body to negative 100 degree temperatures, does that actually do anything more than a normal ice bath where it's only like 30 degrees or something? Um, and do you think there's maybe a psychological thing where if it feels more extreme, then the benefits must be more extreme? 
Yeah, exactly. One person at a wellness center that I talked to said it's a very no pain, no gain mindset. Yeah, there's not a lot of evidence for a lot of the health benefits that are being promised by many of these treatments. They're being studied. The jury is still out. Mm -hmm. For ice baths, I looked up what the evidence is and the the most evidence-backed claims for ice baths are around muscle inflammation. So athletes have been using Mm -hmm. ice baths forever to treat injuries and strained muscles and that sort of thing. So that's definitely a thing that is supported. And there are tons of other claims around this that go into wellness and health. And if you look at Wim Hof, who's this Iceman King that was on the Goop show, he claims all sorts of things in terms of disease treatments and that sort of thing. And Mm-hmm. The jury's still out on that. They're definitely studying it. I mean, they do scientific experiments on him because he can stay in ice water for almost two hours, but definitely not a ton of evidence. It's very experimental. Yeah. The, the, like I said, the one time I did an ice bath, it was at the behest of a, a friend who was an extreme athlete and was like very knowledgeable about body and fitness stuff. So that one felt kind of real to me. But yeah, I feel like with any sort of wellness thing, there's some stuff that's real and there's some stuff that's maybe half real and and then there's other stuff. Um, But it is interesting that, like you said, at the time of a lot of anxiety, that there's more things that to me sound stressful at a spa, which is supposed to be a place of relaxation. I wonder if we're just like so accustomed to stress all the time that it's we want our relaxation to be stressful too. I don't know that you might, I'm sure there's a lot of psychoanalysis that can be done there too. Yeah. So I talked to people about that and it sounded like there's a few things behind this. So first of all, these treatments are promising stress relief as a benefit of going through the stressful experience. So I talked to the owner of Remedy Place, which is this very exclusive members only social wellness club that just opened last year in LA and they opened a New York center in September this year. So he said that people like to go in the ice bath because they have these very stressful lives and then they feel if they can do the ice bath then they can do anything. So he talked about a Grammy winning singer who he didn't name, who he said was nervous about going on stage at the Grammys and then use the ice bath treatment to prepare for dealing with that stress. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting to see kind of that mindset. And then there's also a mindset of treating the hedonism that people have in their lives, especially post-pandemic. Everyone's going out and partying, drinking, everyone's going wild. So they promise hangover relief as one of the benefits of some Mm. of these treatments. For example, I talked to someone at Artha, which is another fancy wellness center in LA. And they said a lot of people come in after a night of partying and they go in the infrared chamber to cure their hangover. So there is definitely kind of an element of I've led this indulgent lifestyle outside of the spa. So then when I go into the spa, I need to torture myself. It's no, we're sort of we're sort of becoming it, it sounds like there's a move to like a monastic like self-flagellation like uh, uh like the guy in um the Da Vinci code is like whipping himself. I feel like that's going to be the new spot treatment. 
Which one of these sounded most unpleasant to you, I'm wondering, just personally? Well, one of the ones that I tried when I was researching this was the sensory deprivation tank. So I tried the one at Artha in Hollywood, and I was actually terrified. I felt like I was going to be so claustrophobic, and I watched the movie Altered States the night before Mm. I went to this treatment. And that was terrifying. If you've never seen Altered States is kind of like a horror film that's all about sensory deprivation tanks. And the one in the movie just was intentionally very terrifying looking. It was like this little coffin thing. And then the guy goes in and like horrible things happen to him. Right. Did you know you were going to this the next day or was it a coincidence? Yeah. Yeah. It was just, I was just researching the treatments. I was just looking into like what's out there on sensory deprivation tanks. Obviously it's a big thing in stranger things too. Stranger things makes it sound terrifying. Um, I didn't really think I was going to get sucked into a parallel universe with the Soviets or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but um, I was definitely worried about, yeah, I was definitely worried about just the immediate claustrophobia, but Artha made it a very luxe experience. So they have the biggest tanks in LA, they said. Um, mm-hmm. So it was very high ceiling and it wasn't necessarily dark. You could choose a dark setting, but they also had a setting that was much more um, beginner friendly, which was twinkling lights and soft, relaxing spa-like music so you definitely see Mm. some of the elements of a relaxing spa being brought into these more kind of hardcore treatments for people that are willing to try it out so it's definitely not a completely torturous experience by any means okay do you think that the traditional mud bath and massage and traditional spa stuff is going to go away in favor of these kind of more I feel like it's almost a body hacking kind of thing where you need to activate certain chemicals or whatever in your body as opposed to just the listen to music and have somebody rub your shoulders. Do you feel like some of that traditional stuff is going to go away and we're just going to move over to all this more endurance-based kind of treatments? So as part of my research for this, I had a chance to talk to the preeminent source on all things wellness. I met with Gwyneth Paltrow at an event last week And I got her thoughts on this, and she basically said she loves to do both. She likes to try out the ice bath. She said her husband got an ice bath for their house, and he can do six minutes, and she can do one minute. And she said she's trying to do more. She said she likes painful massages sometimes. She's into these cold therapies. She said that she likes that aspect of it, but she said she also still loves all of the relaxing aspects of spas. She likes to do Reiki and relaxing massages and all sorts of soothing wellness activities. So in her mind, it's going to be a bit of both. And we're not going to see the traditional spa go anywhere, but people will be balancing it out a little bit more. I I think that makes the most sense as as a total lay person who has not done the reporting that you have. I feel like that makes the most sense to me. But cool that you got to talk to Gwyneth. Um, last thing we'll discuss, uh, you also hosted the Glossy Influencer Dinner in LA last night. There was a bunch of cool people there. Patrick Starr was there, Ashley Tisdale, a um, bunch of others. Want to give us a quick update? How did it go? What did everybody talk about? What was the vibe? Totally. And it was a total vibe. This was the first of its kind in LA. 
we've hosted tons of glossy dinners before in New York. Well, I say we as in terms of glossy, like you've been to them, but I've actually yeah. not had the chance to go to one. So this was my first glossy dinner. Mm-hmm. We focused on creator brand founders. So we had such a good group. Ashley Tisdale was there of High School Musical fame, Patrick mm-hmm. Starr, Donnie Davey, who is the lead makeup artist for Euphoria and has her own oh. beauty line now, Michelle Fan, Marianne Hewitt. So it was such a good group. We brought the signature glossy dinner format of a group discussion and the energy was super high. Everyone was so excited to share their thoughts with the group. And they talked about stuff like balancing content promotion for their brands with their own personal content on their pages. They don't want their feeds to come across as an ad for their brand, but they definitely want to contribute to growth for their brand through their own personal platforms. There was a great discussion of fundraising, especially on the funding gaps for female founders and founders of color. It definitely seemed like a bonding activity for everyone there. They all wanted to keep in touch after And props to Jill, who always brings it with the glam to the business dinners Jill was also hosting. She flew in for the event. And overall, there was just a lot of cheering throughout the night. I haven't been to a glossy fashion dinner in New York, so I'm not sure how it compares. But overall, it was a very special night and super high energy. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I I think Jill, I was actually talking to her, and she mentioned something about... um, fundraising as one of the topics that came up. Did did anybody, did they talk about that much? Because I've been thinking about fundraising right now in terms of uh, the economy being sort of unstable and people being skittish. I'm wondering if they said anything interesting about that. Yeah, there was a huge discussion on fundraising. So one of the founders compared it to dating. They talked about kind of the dance that you do with investors. And they said that there's a point where if the investor is not committing as it would be with a dating relationship. If they're not showing commitment, you just have to cut it off. Um, So that was an interesting analogy. Um, But yeah, overall, it was a really great conversation. And um, everyone was sharing on social media how great it was to go to something like this. It was very, um, very glam, glam influencer event, but much more of a business founder angle discussion than you typically see at LA events. So they were all really excited to participate. All right. I know we have our three main topics, but Liz, quick bonus topic. We've both been watching House of the Dragon on HBO. It just finished. Um, I loved it. I don't know how you feel about it, uh, but I think we were both interested in talking about the clothes because I think they're incredible. Um, what were your thoughts on the the fashion and, and House of the Dragon? I don't know if any of our listeners care about this at all, but I do. So I want to ask about it. I'm sure people care. They had pretty high ratings. But yeah, I have been obsessed with the Game of Thrones world fashion forever. I was a huge Game of Thrones fan back in the day and obviously was also just so obsessed with the fashion. It was so interesting in Game of Thrones because they put all of these modern twists to the clothes. Like they had like Marjorie in a medieval dress but then it had very modern cutouts in it and um Cersei's outfits were always super on point she had like the armor corsets and that sort of thing it was always very like avant-garde um so I was very excited to see what the fashion was going to be 
in House of the Dragon. And it seems like they went a lot more traditional with it. They seem to be looking at actual historical medieval references. Um, So, yeah, that was interesting to see because it, it makes sense because it is technically set back further in time, but it's also a totally fictional world. So... I, I was wondering if they would go more avant-garde with it, and it seems like they didn't. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I definitely think the original show was much more, like, uh, inspired by historical clothing without, like, actually trying to just perfectly mimic it. For one thing, like you mentioned, it's a little more avant-garde, avant-garde and modern. It's also way more extravagant than, like, most people would probably would have ever worn back then. Um, I really liked... Uh, uh, What's his name? Lenor Valarian. That's Rhaenyra's uh, first husband. He, at their wedding episode, he was wearing this incredibly cool, like, gold and black silk kind of, like, filigree Gucci-looking pajama shirt thing. I was like, man, I want to wear that. It looks, it looked really great. I always pay attention more to the menswear, but you're definitely right that the dresses were, and the women's clothing in general were very, I think they were beautiful. The production design is always amazing, but it's a little bit less like something you could maybe see yourself wearing something similar unless you're going to like the Renaissance fair or something. I totally missed the menswear. Yeah, I was way too focused on the dresses. I noticed that they repeated outfits a lot in especially the beginning and that made me sad just because I like to see all the different outfits. But um, yeah, one other thing that made me sad about it was I saw a deleted scene or a picture from a deleted scene where they showed Allison's wedding dress. And that mm. one was crazy. It had a bunch of dragons on it. And that was the most avant-garde looking outfit. And it was this very elaborate wedding gown. But then they cut the scene so I was like, that would have been oh. the highlight, but I don't know. I guess right, I gotta, you just look it up online. Yeah, I got to look this one up. That is a shame, though. Um, last thing on House of the Dragon, I am going as a character from House of the Dragon for Halloween, and it is really hard to find good, like, men's medieval-ish, renaissance-ish clothes out there. I mean, I don't. this is a whole separate topic, and maybe we'll do the next week episode about Halloween costumes and how they're so wasteful because so many of them are like cheap polyester and you never wear them again. Um, it's been really tough. I, I really can't find anything to match. I'm trying to dress as Lara Strong, the uh, the guy with the cane. Um, it's tough. There's there, But there's a ton of women's stuff out there. There's like you search Daenerys or whatever, and there's a million nice looking dresses and probably maybe not something you'd want to wear outside of Halloween, but at least they're there and they don't look poor quality or anything. Yeah, totally. I did go as Daenerys one year for Halloween and I just copied. Do you still her. have the wig? I don't know. No, I don't. I, I, yeah, it was a very wasteful thing that I ordered off of Amazon and it got really tangled and messed up because it was cheap plastic. Oh, no. Because her, of course, the, yeah. the the actual wigs are like human hair and super crazy elaborate. But yeah, it it fell apart. But yeah, the dress I got was um, based on this gray cross neck, very plain dress that she had with like a cape. And um, I just bought one of those infinity dresses. So it was actually really easy to find stuff for that show because all of the clothes were so modern and mm-hmm. had counterparts that you could just buy off of a random 
clothing website, whereas the ones in this show are very elaborate medieval gowns. So that's going to be a lot tougher. Yeah, definitely. Well, you're going to have to dig up your Daenerys wig and wear it to the next glossy influencer dinner uh, to match the sort of glam vibe. Um, But thank you so much for being here, Liz. It's been great to have you on. This is the first time you've been on. I can't believe it. Um, But thanks for being here. Uh, For those of you listening, if you haven't given the Glossy Podcast a rating and a review, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening, please do. That helps us out a lot. And you should also subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because you'll hear the Week in Review episodes every Friday and you'll hear interview episodes with people in the industry, interesting insiders and industry figures every Wednesday. Um, So yeah, Liz, thanks for being here. And for those of you listening, thanks for listening. Thanks for having me. 